Welcome to this talk from Emmaus Road, a church with congregations in Guildford, Woking and Aldershot in the UK. To find out more about who we are and what we're up to, please visit us online at EmmausRoad.com. So today uh, we're just going to be building a little bit on Vision Sunday from last week and if you were here, you would have heard the full talk. If you were just here this morning, you would have heard the recap and this story of Joshua and Caleb and the taking of the promised land. And Pete gave us this challenge that we would be people who were not but yes, we would be people that were yes but. And I think he missed a trick in not saying it's time to get our butt in the right place. But he rarely takes any of my suggestions. So. The question today, as we take it forward, is, okay, but how do we do that? Right? How do we become truly a people who aren't intimidated by the giants in the land? Is it just purely about being stronger? Is it a bit of positive thinking? Like, Really, how do we become like Joshua and Caleb? Because the truth is, we all encounter giants. Right? Sometimes we're walking along, life's going well, and then I'm sure you can testify to this, a giant walks onto your path. Other times in life, the Lord calls us into a land filled with giants. As one American preacher put it, if you don't walk into a demon every now and again, you're probably going in the same direction. And so my question today is, how do we do that? And I'd love you to take just 10 seconds right now. What is the giant in your life today? Like, it's easy when we speak in abstractions and metaphors to let them sort of gloss over, but what is that thing you're praying for? What is that obstacle that feels a little intimidating? What is the thing that is wanting to intimidate your awareness of the power and the promises of the risen Jesus today. Because we want to speak directly to that thing. And so if you have a Bible as you're thinking, why don't you turn to Numbers 14, and let's carry on the story a little bit. I think it's going to be coming on the stage. Yes. As I smoothly swap the mics. That night, all the members, this is 14.1, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron and the whole assembly and said to them, if only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and we should go back to Egypt. Interestingly, when faced with uncertainty, how easy it is to go back to slavery. But then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly, gathered there, Joshua and Caleb, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and he will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord. And do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. 
So do not be afraid of them. And so we have these two groups, as Pete said. We have the group who are impressed by the size of the problem, impressed by the size of the obstacle, and then you have these few who are impressed by the size of their God. And I think the essential thing to note here is that Joshua and Caleb do not refer to themselves. They don't try and convince everyone how strong they are, how good fighters they are, how powerful their horses are, how sharp their swords are. What do they do? They focus on God. They are mindful of the magnitude of God. They aren't mindful of their own power. They are mindful of the God they serve and the promises that he gave to them. In the life of Jesus, we never see him being overly impressed by anything that the enemy is doing. But we always see him being obsessed by the majesty of the Father. And so I was praying about today... And I was asking the Lord, what should I bring that might strengthen and equip us? And I was um, taking Thea out to ride her bicycle. And often the Lord talks to me when I'm just doing stuff with my kids, because that's all I'm ever doing, it feels like. And I'm riding the bike, and I'm not riding the bike, she's riding the bike, and I'm holding on to it, and we're riding, and we get to this like steep curve. And she's like, Dad, I'm going to fall off. And I was like, Thea, don't worry, I'm like holding the front of it. I'm like, don't worry do you trust me? And she's like, I do trust you. I just don't trust me. And I was like, ah, well, that's the problem. You don't need to trust you right now. Just trust me. And I think the Lord said, here, this is the problem. And this is the key to the story. If we spend too much time focusing on the slope of the ground, the size of the problem, or we spend too much time focusing on our own insufficiency, We're led into doubt and fear and anxiety, and we want to step back into a place of slavery. But if we trust the person who's holding the bike, then we'll be okay. Then we'll take the promised land. And so carrying on with this motif of giants through the Bible, we obviously encounter Goliath. Goliath, the most famous giant in the Bible, and David, the young shepherd boy who slays the giant. And I think that in the life of David and in the Psalms, many of which were written by David, we, we find some keys for how we be people that don't look at the slope, don't look at ourselves, but look to God. And they are these. The word of God, the works of God, and the wonder of God. The word of God, the works of God, and the wonder of God. And so let's start with the word of God. And This isn't going to be a long talk. It's just to give you a few practical keys of how we stay single-hearted, single-minded, just like Caleb, who took the promised land. So the word of God. Psalm 1 tells us that we are to meditate on the law of the Lord both day and night. And in doing so, we will become people who are planted. That word suggests like stable, secure, grounded. And in doing that, we would flourish And the truth is, whatever demands our attention possesses our thoughts. And whatever possesses our thoughts anchors our heart. And whatever anchors our heart becomes what we worship. And so basically, you become what you think about. And so if we set 
our mind on the things above, we become like God. We become stable. We become grounded. We've all had that friend, haven't we, who they're young and they fall in love, like young love. And then suddenly, like, everything reminds them of that person they've fallen in love with, right? Oh, my goodness, like a sidewalk. I love her. I remember when we walked on a sidewalk. You know, that's the thing, just everything becomes that moment where they talk about the person. And that's kind of what the Bible is talking about in Psalm 1. It's this idea of the fact that to meditate, the Bible talks about meditation, is to constantly think about, to dwell on, to be reminded by, to muse. It has connotations of chewing the cud, like a cow, you know, that just grinds over the grass constantly to pull all the nutrients out of it. We are called to meditate and muse and think of, think on the word of the Lord. Now, there are certain obstacles, I think, today for us doing that. In his book, The Organized Mind, Daniel Levitin researches um, attention, basically. It's a book devoted to attention. And he makes this interesting observation. And he says, from 1986... To 2011, so 25 years, one generation, Americans are being forced to process five times more information every single day. Five times in 25 years. Now think about that. That isn't like, think back on one week. It would be tiring to think like you've gone through suddenly one day you were forced to try and process five times the amount of information than you were the week before. But this is compound. Every single day, five times, five times, five times. And it's happened in one generation. Technology is advancing quicker than we are able to keep up with it. And so biologically, what he suggests is that we're actually changing the way that we think. And no longer do we remember information. Now we just simply remember where to find information. Which is great if you're like wanting to pull up a thesaurus or an encyclopedia or something. But it's not great when you want to meditate on the law of the Lord. It's not great to be like, I know there's some promises. I know where to find them. I just don't know any of them. And he goes on to say this. In order for something to become encoded as part of your experience, you need to have paid conscious attention to it. For it to become encoded as part of your experience. So for us to become encoded with the law of the Lord, we have to have paid conscious attention to it. So let me give you this question in a very literal sense. Where are you paying your attention because there's only so much resource of attention that we have. And where are you paying it? Where are you paying your attention? And the lie can be that we will flourish if we just digest more and more content. More and more podcasts, more and more leadership skills, more and more videos, more and more media, more and more stories. But actually what the Bible says is it's those who meditate on the same thing, day in, day out, day in, day out, they will be planted and they will flourish. And so we meditate on the law of the Lord. I'm sure you've heard this illustration before, but I think it's a helpful one. 
when they're teaching people how to pay attention to counterfeit dollars, counterfeit money, the way that they do that is they don't show them all of the different ways that someone might fake a $10, $50 bill. There's so many different ways that someone might do that. So instead of going through all of the, all the fakes, all of the counterfeits, what they do is they just get them day in, day out to look at a real $50 bill because they know that once you see its weight and you dwell on it and you muse on it, then suddenly when something fake comes across your path, you might not know what it is straight away, but just something doesn't feel right. And the same is true as we meditate on the Word of God. Suddenly, certain thoughts come in, certain opinions, certain discouragements, certain lies, and we've meditated on the law of the Lord, and suddenly we're like, oh, something about that thought just doesn't feel right. It just doesn't line up. I don't know exactly what it is, but it doesn't feel right. But we meditate on the law of the Lord, on the Word of God, on the promise of Scripture, And we are filled with the promises of God. Number two, works of God. Just bring up three scriptures, three psalms on the screen now. Psalm 77, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will consider all your works and meditate on all your mighty deeds. Psalm 103, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Deuteronomy 6, just after what Hannah read during the dedication, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt and out of the land of slavery. For us, we like to think about the beginning in terms of Genesis, but for the Israelites, they don't really talk about Genesis after it happens. What they constantly talk about is the Exodus, that beginning story where God delivered them from Egypt and made them into a chosen people and a holy nation. And interwoven into the very laws of the people were feasts and festivals that would remember what God has done. They'd literally celebrate. They'd feast together. They'd talk about it. They would remember it. And this was when they were dealing with way less information, way less things. There's this moment when Jesus is teaching the disciples, and they've just fed the 5,000, and then he starts giving them a kind of complicated lesson about the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And, and I love this. And the disciples are like, what's he talking about? I bet he's angry that we didn't bring lunch. Do you remember that story? Always encourages me because it's such a stupid answer. But I like the way they got written to the Bible even though they asked the dumbest questions. But Jesus says, why are you worried about lunch? Do you not understand? Do you not remember the feeding of the 5,000? Do you not understand? Do you not remember? So what is God saying? God is saying that as we remember the works of God, it should change our understanding. It literally should rewire the way that we think about ourselves, the way that we think about God, and the way that we think about the way we are in the world. Do you not remember? Do you not understand? And so we go to David the person who literally we read about slaying a giant in the Bible. 
And it's interesting, just before David fights Goliath, he says this. He said, The Lord has delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, and surely he will deliver me from the hand of Goliath. The Lord has delivered me. Like, I can tell you about these times when the Lord showed up. Last week I stood here and I said, who many people in this room could testify to the Lord showing up in their life? Almost every hand in the place went up. But are we telling those stories? We sung the song earlier, tell it to the daughters, tell it to the sons, to every generation, speak of what the Lord has done. Here's a challenge to parents. When's the last time you told your kids about miracles the Lord's had done for you? When's the last time you handed on your inheritance to them to stand on? And maybe you should make a celebration out of it, like a feast or a festival, where you get together and you do something special and you remember the great works of the Lord because we're called to not forget. And if you are stood here, or sat here, I mean, if you are sat here and you're like, I don't feel like I have any stories, steal someone else's. <laughs> Honestly, steal someone else's. We all serve the same God. And we are meant to be equipped by the story of the way that God has shown up in each other's lives. As brothers and sisters. Just a discipline I have in my life is that when I encounter a problem and I get fearful or anxious, I will consciously go out of my way to try and find someone who's got a testimony that speaks into the story that I'm dealing with. I look around and think, okay, I'm, I'm worried about God's obedience. I'm, I'm, sorry, I'm worried about God's provision. I'm worried about salvation. I'm worried about guidance. Whatever it is, I'll like go around and I'll like search one out. And I'll be like, okay, it's a sign and a wonder. It's a sign that points to something that makes us wonder. So a few weeks ago, David Yagnazar stood up here and said that unbelievable testimony about that boy who in shame had run away from home Someone had, you know, got in contact with him who worked for Elam, wanted to give him a Bible. He's homeless. And he said, look, just leave it somewhere in North Tehran. Something like, leave it somewhere in North London. Send me a picture and I'll find it. So he does that. He hides it under a bench in a park. He sends him a picture. And long story short, he sends him the picture of the very bench that that young man at 14 went to when he ran away from home. The place of his shame. And David said this, because God knows your bench. God knows the place that you go to in sin and shame. I have told so many people that story, right? Because there's something about stories of God that add nutrients to the fertile soil of our heart. That allow the seeds of faith to grow. In Luke 18, Jesus tells this parable of this unjust judge. And this widow that will not leave him alone. And he says the judge doesn't care about people, nor does he have any regard for God. But because this widow is annoying him so much, he'll answer her. How much more will God answer you if you keep praying? Now, the moral of that story is not that God ever acts like an unjust judge. It's a comparison, right? It's so different. God is so different. If an unjust judge will move, then surely a loving father will move. But he ends this parable with this. Jesus told this parable that they wouldn't lose heart that they would keep on praying. But then he says this, because when the Son of Man returns, will he find what on the earth? Faith. 
not love, not work with the poor, not prayer. All those things are important, but they're all underpinned by this, faith. Confidence, conviction, and loyalty to the living God. And so how do we become people that we are constantly creating a fertile soil in our hearts that faith might grow. Because surely what Jesus is saying is that faith is the thing that is going to be most contested in your life. And so when I come, will I find faith? Well, God, yes, right here you will. And I'm going to go out of my way and I'm going to intentionally build disciplines into my life that grow faith. And I'm going to have feasts and I'm going to have festivals. I'm going to tell my kids about it. I'm going to steal your stories. And I am going to declare and I am going to muse and meditate on the works of God. So that when I face a giant, like David, I might say, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that dares to mock the armies of the living God? A 16-year-old shepherd boy who had meditated on the works of God. Number three, wonder of God. This is a final thing, but Psalm says this, You have set your glory in the heavens. This is Psalm 8. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. So just notice the, like, the sort of battle language that's there. But then he goes on to say this, When I consider your heavens... The work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place. What is mankind that you are mindful of him? And human beings that you care for them. Where can you go that introduces wonder back into your soul? Like physically, where do you go? And I remember someone saying, and I've built it into as a discipline to my life, it's so helpful. And they said, when I feel overwhelmed, I get out of the city, he lives in New York, because I want to get somewhere that isn't man-made, and I go to nature, and I go somewhere that is God-made. Because in going somewhere that's God-made, I am reminded of the majesty, the splendor, and the power of the God that I serve. If you are constantly only surrounded by things that are man-made, it's easy to make man-made problems as big as God. So go somewhere God-made and you'll realize that he's so much bigger. The God who flung the stars and the universe into space. And what I find is that as I go to a forest or I go to the mountains or I go to the ocean, like the ocean one is a good one for me, I realize that God cares about what I care about, but God isn't overwhelmed by what overwhelms me. And faith begins to grow. I feel it. Like I feel trust beginning to grow in my heart again. If you look really closely at this picture, you will not see a person <laughs> because too, they're too small. Right, What you see is the stars. You take your sight off of the problem. You take the sight off of yourself. And you hook your anchor, your heart, and your attention and your affection back onto the majesty of God. And everything feels like it kind of comes back into alignment. And so we go places where we are reminded of the majesty and splendor of God. And I believe this was key for David. 
just day after day, night after night, out with the sheep. I wonder how many times he looked up at the stars and he pondered the size of God who made all of that. And then even when you walk into an environment where everyone else is afraid and the giant stands there and mocks you, you are like Caleb, you are single-minded, single-hearted, so obsessed and overwhelmed by the size and splendor of God that nothing begins to intimidate that. You have, as Paul said, set your mind on the things above. And so... How do we be the two and not the ten? How do we become the people who God knows can call us into places that are bigger than our self-sufficiency? How do we people that whether or not a giant walks across our path or the Lord calls us into a land full of giants, he knows that we will not be intimidated, we will not back down, we will not give in to fear, I think it's through three disciplines, probably more, but these are three in my own life. I'm um, a mathematic, and so I have these two inhalers. And I was thinking about it this morning when I was taking them. I have this blue one, which if I have an asthma attack, stops the asthma attack. I'm so grateful for it. It's amazing. But I also have this brown one, which I have to take every day, and it, it builds up an immunity. So you don't have to ever, you don't even need the blue one. If you faithfully take the brown one, You very rarely need the blue one. And there is something about these disciplines, which I think for me is like taking my brown inhaler every day. Before I even encounter the problem, there are things that I've built into my life that protect me. And I believe, bringing it back in, we meditate on God's word, we remind ourselves of God's works, and we cultivate godly wonder. We meditate on God's word, We remind ourselves of God's works and we cultivate godly wonder. And if we do that, God can use a shepherd boy to stand up to a giant. And so just to respond as we come into land, I'm going to pray for you. And then we're going to do something that we don't normally do. In line with not just trying to be full of more content and more noise. I'm just going to be quiet for 60 seconds, like one minute. Where there's like extroverts in the room that will be like you know, wriggling after 15 seconds. But just a moment for you in the quiet of your own heart before the Spirit of God that you might bring to mind. Bring to mind God's Word. Bring to mind God's works. Look at the picture we'll put back up and cultivate godly wonder. And so, Lord Jesus, Lord, we hear the vision We see the promise. And we are aware of the giants, but we are not intimidated, God. And Lord Jesus, we ask that you would help us to become like people carrying the spirit of Caleb, the spirit of David, that we might be wholehearted, single-minded, and focused, that we might be filled and obsessed with the knowledge of God. Lord, we're aware we live in a very busy and noisy world. Would you help give us the discipline to be people who would feast on your word? Lord, help us to be people that celebrate, talk to each other about your works. And Lord Jesus, fill us with wonder as we follow you.
Amen. Amen.